Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Liz Hayes, Principal at Hydrogen Struggles and a member of the Global Technology and Services Practice. In today's podcast, I'm speaking with Yvette Austin-Smith, a Principal and Director at the Brattle Group. The Brattle Group is a global economics and financial consulting firm that provides expertise in litigation and regulatory matters. Yvette specializes in M&A and bankruptcy disputes. Prior to joining the Brattle Group, Yvette provided investment banking advisory services. Yvette, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Liz. Of course. No, and just to jump right in, I mean, Yvette, transaction and financial markets are under pressure at the moment, obviously during the COVID crisis. I mean, what kind of calls are you getting today? Yeah, the most frequent calls today are M&A and financing busted transactions. These are deals that are either stalled or canceled. And for some subset of those calls, one or more of the transaction parties are actually looking at a restructuring or possibly even a bankruptcy. I mean, many of these deals were simply rescue transactions. And the deals themselves actually fall into a few categories. You know, the first is deals that were or arguably were in trouble pre-COVID. And COVID is certainly being blamed as the last leg or the last straw. The second involves companies in industries that were struggling pre-COVID. Retail is probably the best example of this. You know, we're starting to see a wave of retail bankruptcies And then the third category of deals are largely businesses in the travel and leisure section. And interestingly, many of those companies were actually doing quite well pre-COVID and are likely to rebound post-COVID, assuming that they can survive the downturn. An interesting example of this may be Hertz Corporation. So the car rental company filed for bankruptcy on May 22nd. But as of yesterday, the company's stock is up some 800%. And so investors do seem to be betting that Hertz is going to rebound. What do you believe will be the fallout of these busted deals or or just overall the, the pressure we're feeling in the financing markets? Sure. So some of this is still evolving, but I can tell you the trends that we're seeing now. Uh, the first and probably most obvious one is price renegotiation. So where the deals haven't just completely fallen apart, you have acquirers putting downward pressure on the price. And that's often combined with increasing the contingency of some of the consideration. So larger escrows, milestone payments, and the like. A second trend we're seeing is what's referred to as over-equitizing, and that is decreasing the financing leverage in the deals and replacing that loan or that leverage with a larger equity check. Now, what we anticipate is that some of the acquirers will actually seek to refinance these transactions, hopefully in more stable markets, and so that will likely return some of the leverage back to the financing structure. 
few other things we're seeing. Um, the use of covenant holidays or relaxation of, of loan covenants and additional EBITDA addbacks, which allows a company to maintain a covenant in a loan agreement. Now, right. most of these are of a limited duration. Uh, the idea is to provide the operating company with just a little bit more financial flexibility through the end of the COVID downturn. And the fourth trend I'll mention is a real uptick in material adverse change or MAC or material adverse effect, sometimes known as MAE litigation, and relatedly what's called ordinary course litigation. So there are some acquirers who are testing these mechanisms as escape hatches from deals that they would like to exit. You know, it's interesting to note, notwithstanding the real uptick in this litigation, if you look historically, actually very few of these lawsuits have resulted in an affirmative finding for a MAC or an MAE. The ordinary course litigation has a little bit less of a history to it, so we'll have to see how that develops. How might litigation or even contested bankruptcies differ now compared to the Great Recession of 2008? There are a couple of notable differences. So one is the current downturn developed much more quickly than the Great Recession. This will likely impact what is said to be, quote, known or knowable on the eve of the COVID crisis. With hindsight, shareholders and other investors will be asking whether certain transaction decisions were in fact reasonable. A lot of the future litigation we think is going to turn on this question. There's also a notable difference in governmental support. If you compare today's crisis to the Great Recession, on the one hand, governmental support has been much more diffuse as compared to the Great Recession. You know, when I was working on Lehman Brothers, the question that was being asked contemporaneously was, you know, was the government going to save Lehman or perhaps was the government going to save the banking sector? Right, right. You know, now people are asking which of millions of businesses and individuals will receive a smaller individual government payout and will it be enough? On the other hand, the current government support has been deployed in a less uniform fashion. And so all of this is creating greater uncertainty surrounding the amount and the timing of government support. And it is this uncertainty that we think is going to fuel subsequent litigation. Um, just to put it in sort of in a simplistic format, there'll be many different interpretations of the likelihood of government support and related questions as to whether government support was expected to replace or augment private sector financing. No, I was going to say, I mean, it's funny that you're talking about it in that regard about was the government going to save the bank, uh, excuse me, the banking industry. I mean, it's unique to even see right now with the PPP loans. I mean, it seems like the a different approach to saving some of these companies, focusing on the smaller companies. And I mean, with that, it'd be curious, even your point of view on leadership, what kind of leaders should boards be looking for? For example, what advice would you have for a board as they look to guide companies through restructuring and turnaround right now? Certainly. So I sit on two boards, one for profit and one not for profit. And I think my advice is uh, the following. First is you have to empower management to make 
tough decisions expeditiously. Difficult and often politically charged decisions will be required regarding the company's sort of current and future investments. And while the decisions certainly shouldn't be made recklessly, they will often need to be made quickly and decisively. You know, in restructuring, time is either your friend or it's your enemy. It's rarely a neutral factor. And in the first phase, in most instances, uh, time is actually your enemy. Uh, the second advice I would have for companies going through or facing a restructuring is to shift management's focus from revenue and expenses to cash flow. A successful restructuring is really going to depend on being able to reasonably predict and manage liquidity. And by that, I mean the amount and the timing of future cash flows, cash inflows and outflows. So what kind of leadership skills have you seen are most important for leaders at companies that are facing disruption? Yeah, I I will tell you, during the current disruption, I've tried to focus on three key skills, transparency, accountability, and humility. If you want buy-in from stakeholders, the stakeholders need to know not only what the decision was, but how the decision was made. For example, who had input to the process and what were the trade-offs considered? Accountability is necessary because it builds trust and it also allows the company to move from decision to actual execution. And finally, I'll mention humility. You know, leaders simply should not forget humility. You know, many great ideas come from outside the ranks of traditional leadership. And I've certainly seen that at the Brattle Group as the firm has developed our response to the current civil unrest. How has your firm responded? So we've undergone a, a, a couple of different efforts. We had internal town hall meetings, which allowed employees at all levels of the organization to, one, express how they were feeling, which was really important. We had a number of different employees who were impacted in different ways. And for those that wanted the opportunity, this was a great opportunity opportunity to express some of that. Um, The second purpose of the town halls was really to develop a strategy around how the firm was going to respond. And this was exactly the process in which uh, employees throughout the firm, from our first year research associates up to the board members, we were all on the same call, really had an opportunity to help propose the strategy. And so over the next couple of days, uh, Brattle Group will be coming out with both a public statement regarding our position and also announcing our decisions relative to some charitable investments. That's fantastic. I mean, To kind of spiral off of that, I mean, what advice do you have for other leaders as they think about diversity and inclusion efforts, especially as they add value to their business? Yeah, given the current world events, this is obviously a timely and important question. I mean, I'll start by saying again, as both a board member and an African-American woman, I can confirm that full incorporation of diversity and inclusion efforts has to be a board level priority if the goal is really to promote meaningful organizational change. And it's worth the effort because it does add tremendous value to a company. And I'll just give two examples. You know, first, diversity and inclusion attracts talent to your organization. Yes, minority talent, also all talent. It really also promotes the retention of the firm's existing talent. 
the smart and creative and collaborative employees that you want to be part of your company care about diversity. Uh, The second thing I'll mention is that diversity and inclusion allows a company to better serve its clients. Our clients are diverse. I mean, sometimes they are individually identified as diverse, but equally or with greater frequency, the individuals with whom we interact as our clients have incredible diversity in their own lives. Their spouses and partners, their children, the communities in which they live represent the world's diversity, and companies simply can't afford to operate in a way that is out of touch with our clients. No, that's fantastic. And I think you'll see more and more people agree with that and act on that, especially considering the current climate. And my final question to you, Yvette, today would be, what do you think will come out of this current downturn? I actually think we have an opportunity as a society to do even better with inclusion efforts. I mean, over the last few months, we've all been working remotely. We've been working in different ways. We've been using different technology. You know, for example, I've seen many of my colleagues do fantastic work while juggling the responsibilities of a family and personal commitments. These are aspects that affect all of our lives all of the time. And if we have begun to prove to ourselves that we can work efficiently in a way that allows an individual to give both priority to their work and priority to their life outside of work, that's only going to improve the inclusion that we're able to demonstrate for all of our employees. And so I hope that's one of the lessons that we take away from this. Absolutely. No, Yvette, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today and and for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.